millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Gary Bain, and with me is the delectable Peter Hart. I am. Fresh from Chesterfield, where I've been meeting all my friends. Did he turn up? Yeah, just the one. And then two others arrived. So three, one of them a spare? Well, two of them were spare, really. Uh, now, moving on from your uh, adventures in Chesterfield, you're from Chesterfield, though, aren't you? One of my many homes. Uh, I have to move every so often. I don't know why that is. <laughs> um, we're gonna, today, we're going to be doing uh, the SMS Emden. Now, Pete, uh, what does SMS stand for? Super Marine Service. No, Sina Majestat Schiff, or... That doesn't help. His Majesty's ship. Oh, for God's sake. Why don't they just put HMS then? Well, because they're the uh, Kaiserlichter Marine. Are they German? They're German. But so it was also used by the uh, Austrians. I nearly said Australians. <laughs> they, 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 have a, they do have a connection with the Emden, as we'll find out. Now, tell me a bit about the Emden. So what is it? You're, you're the one with the technical brain. You understand the, the, the inner workings of a ship. Well, tell us about it. What is... SMS Emden. Well, it was the second and final member of the Dresden class of light cruisers, which were built for the Imperial German Navy. Now, what was it named after? Well, rather imaginatively, it was named after the town of Emden. She was laid down in Danzig in uh, November 1906. I laid down in Danzig once. And uh, she <laughs> she was launched. Hang on, are we still talking about when you lay down in a... Oh, no, we've gone back to the ship, have we? Yeah, uh, she was launched in May 1908 uh, and completed in July 1909 after trials. She was commissioned uh, in September 1909. So quite, quite a long development, really. Oh, no, that's about standard for a ship. There's only the dreadnought they did inside a year. That, that was a, a, a bit of a surprise package for everyone. And how did they compare to the British light cruisers, Peter? They, there was uh, a significant difference, wasn't there? I have no idea. Wasn't it in the armour? They were, they were significantly better in armour, weren't they? I don't know. Well, she was 388 feet long. She had a beam of 44 feet. That's narrow. (laughs) Her two triple expansion steam engines gave her a top speed... Could you explain a triple expansion ...of (laughs) 23.5 knots. And uh, how fast is that? That's 27 mile per hour. Oh, don't believe you knew that, because I've never really known what a knot is. Now, she could carry some 860 tonnes of coal which gave a range of 4,330 miles at 12 knots or 
14 miles per hour. So, so considerably less if she went at top speed. Absolutely. Now, this is to the point I was making earlier. The ship was protected by an armoured deck that was up to three inches thick. And the uh, bridge conning tower had 3.9 inch thick armour. And the guns had two inch thick shields. What sort of guns did she have then? Well, the main armament consisted of 10 4.1 inch guns in single mounts. They had a range of just over 13,000 yards and carried 1,500 rounds of ammunition. So, hang on, quick calculation, uh, 150 per gun. Oh, you are so good at maths. Now, Secondary armament? Secondary armament, that consisted of eight two-inch guns, also in single mounts. Uh, she had 17.7-inch torpedo tubes with four torpedoes. So two of them, one on either side of Yeah, mounted below the waterline. And she could carry 50 naval mines as well. I think that's the last time we'll ever speak of that. I don't remember mentioning that in the rest of it. Uh, uh, so what size crew would she have? 18 officers and 343 enlisted men. That's quite a lot, isn't it? It is, but, uh, it, you know, it's it's probably about the same for uh, many navies around the world. Yeah. Now, uh, so, uh, in April 1910, she, the Emden sent overseas, and she joined some old friends of ours, you might remember from the, uh, the Coronel and Falklands podcast. She joins the German East Asia squadron under the overall command of Admiral Graf von Spee, based at Sangtau, I don't know how you pronounce that, uh, a German naval, uh, German colony, which was a concession from one of those concessions uh, that our that our beloved imperial forces uh, got from China. Um, so um, we've not really got time to go into the pre-war service, have we, Pete? <laughs> you are right. Yeah, I'll take that hint. Now, uh, 1913, they get a, a, a ship's commanding officer who's a big part of this story, Commander Carl von Müller, uh, and uh, and he, he's a he's a fantastic officer, and we're going to hear lots more about him during the podcast. Uh, so, what does she spend the first half of 1914 doing? Well, it's, it's the normal routine of cruises in Chinese and Japanese waters without any sort of incident at all. And during the July crisis that followed the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, Emden was the only German cruiser in Sengtau. So where um, were the rest of them? Well, von Spee's two armoured cruisers, Scharnhorst and uh, Neisenau, that's one I don't know how to pronounce. That's right. Um, were cruising in the South Pacific and Leipzig. South, we know a song about that. South Pacific, where the do, 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 do. Yeah. And Leipzig was en route to replace Nuremberg off the coast of Mexico. Ooh, so they're all whizzing about. Now, uh, on 31st of July, uh, the, the, the war's just days away. Muller puts to sea in the Emden and to start commerce raiding uh, the moment the war's officially declared. And two days later, 2nd of August, Germany declares war on Russia. Because that's... We always think the war starts on the 4th of August. It doesn't. That's the British join it. Um, and so she, uh, the following day, 3rd of August, I'm, I'm making the following day the 3rd of August. You with me there? Yeah, I'm with you. So what happens on the 3rd of August? What, what does the Emden Well, do? Emden strikes for the first time when she captures the Russian steamer Ryazan. Um, a what new, was she? Well, it's a new fast passenger and freight ship. And she was sent back to Sangtel and converted into an auxiliary cruiser and renamed the Cormoran. Now, this is the pattern that, that they take over ships, put a prize crew on, if you like, and send them back, and, and they become part of the German Navy. Right? Now, uh, so, what would happen? What difference does the declaration of war with Britain make, do you reckon? 
Well, as you say, the uh, declaration of oh, war by anything. Great Britain on the 4th of August <laughs> oh, means that the oceans become a much more dangerous place because the Royal Navy, frankly, is almost everywhere. They are. They're, they're, they're buggers like that, aren't they? 5th of August, Von Spey orders Muller to join him at Pagan Island, which is in the Mariana Islands. I have no idea where they are, but we'll have a look on a map later on. There'll be a, a map with the course of the M. Then carry on if I remind you. If you remind me. Uh, so... But uh, Emden leaves uh, Sangta on the 6th of August along with the auxiliary cruiser Prince Eitel Friedrich and the collier Markomania. And these ships arrive at pa- pa- Pagan on the 12th of August. So uh, nothing much happening here. Next day, somebody else joins the war. Who's that? Well, Von Spey learns that Japan would enter the war on the side of the Triple Entente and uh, had dispatched a fleet to track his squadron down. So Von this Spey... Is- this is when he takes action, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, he decides to take the East Asia squadron to South America where it could attempt to break through to Germany and also harass British merchant traffic along the way. Now, we've done all that story. That's the story of the battles of Coronel and the Falkland and they all come to a watery grave. Along with a lot of our brave British lads as well, but there you go. Uh, but Bob Muller has a, a, an idea and he doesn't go. What, what does he suggest? Well, he suggests that one cruiser be detached for independent operations in the Indian Ocean, since the squadron would be unable to attack British shipping while it was crossing the Pacific. So they would uh, just to continue the impact on uh, on on on, uh, on British trade and, and trade and also convoy movements of troops, troop convoys. Yeah. Yeah, Von Spey agrees to this, and he allows Muller to operate independently. Why, why the Emden? Well, it's because that's the fastest cruiser in the squadron. So on the 14th of August, Emden and Marcomania left the company of the East Asia Squadron bound for the Indian Ocean. Now, there's lots of problems about this for the Emden, because she's not going to have a base, is she? No, only the coal on the Marcomania is is there to fuel her engines. Anything else is going to have to come from the ships she captures. Now, the Koningsberg was already operating the Western Indian Ocean uh, around about Gulf of Aden. So Muller decides he'd cruise the shipping lanes between Singapore, Colombo and Aden. And uh, the Emden steamed across the Indian Ocean. And what did she do to try and as, as a, a ruse de guerre? Well, she rigs up a dummy funnel to impersonate a British-like cruiser. Who tend to have four funnels. Yeah, and then uh, she steams up the coast of Sumatra towards the Indian, Indian Ocean. Now, uh, 5th of September, uh, Emden enters the Bay of Bengal. And it's a complete surprise to everybody, especially the British. Who, Where did they think they were? Well, the British assume she's still with Von Spey's squadron. Now, at first, there's not much success. But then on, on the 10th of September, she moves to the Colombo-Calcutta route. And at 2 o'clock on 10th of September, she sights a ship. And you're going to be Marine Paymaster France Bordeaux. Uh, so tell, tell me what happens. Thereupon, the call, alarm, immediately resounds from the bridge. It looked so funny when suddenly all the sailors and stokers appeared on the deck, awakened out of their sweet sleep, and rushed to their battle stations. For the time being, all that we can see is a dark spot which gradually comes closer and is soon distinguished as a steamer with one funnel. Our excitement continues to grow. We have now got to within a few hundred metres of the ship. Then, the Emden fires the first shot and increases her speed. The steamer begins to signal in Morse, but we can't make out what she wants, and she continues on her way. Apparently, she doesn't mean to stop. Our commander now gives the order to fire the second blank charge, and at last she stops. Meantime, a cutter is made clear, and the prize crew has mustered on the deck. 
The prize officer, of course, is Reserve Oberleutnant Lauterbach again. Now we are quite near to the ship, which is to be seen quite plainly. It's a freighter. The cutter is launched and goes across to the steamer with the search party. A few exciting moments pass, then the Morse light appears and gives us the following. The steamer is named Pontoporus, nationality Greek. They're not at war. Now, uh, the, the thing is, it's all, the, the rules of war are quite simple. Uh, she should have been, she'd have been free to go, but she's carrying coal for somebody else. Who's she carrying coal for? Well, she was carrying 6,500 tonnes of coal for the British. And uh, Von Muller, he takes the ship into his service, but he agrees to pay the crew. So he takes, he sort of charters the crew, uh, the Greek crew, who, who couldn't give a damn about the war, I presume, uh, just about not being sunk. And quite nicely being paid. Now, in the following days, Emden catches five more ships, and we're not going to look at most of these. Two converted troop transports, and they, the Indus and the Levat, they're heading to pick troops up from India. That's the first two. Now, we'll just stop briefly, because the sinking of the Indus makes a big impact on a 21-year-old young sailor who seems to have been an officer's cook, Friedrich Lockhau. And what does he say? As the water entered through the portholes, she sank even further to the level of the hatches, which had been opened earlier. This sealed her fate. Gigantic fountains shot out from the portholes and then she dived bow first, raising her propeller high up into the air and disappeared, leaving behind black coal dust and some floating wreckage and lifeboats. As she died to her grave, she did so with a final diabolical mystic howling intermingled with a crescendo of crashing noises. It's like being there. Now, uh, the other two ships, uh, uh, two, uh, two of the other ships, uh, the, the, you know, as I said, they, t- they got five. Uh, two of the other ships, they sank. But a third one, uh, the other, another one was a steamer named Kabinga. Now, uh, this is part of, this is a, a very honest and fair war as far as it goes. So what does, what does Muller use the Kabinga part? This is all part of why he gets such a good reputation. Well, the Kabinga was used to carry the crews from the other vessels and then she's safely released with her human cargo. So they're basically allowed to go. Yeah. Brilliant. 13th of September, the Emden sinks two more British prizes uh, and then off the Ganges uh, estuary, Emden catches a, um, a Norwegian merchantman uh, and uh, they, they, they search her. No contraband, nothing for the British, so they release her. Uh, but the Norwegians helpfully tell uh, They're very helpful. What do they tell uh, Muller? Well, they tell him that the Entente warships were operating in the area, which persuades him to return to the eastern coast of India. So, leaves, leaves, all oh, right. So, that's good warning, good intelligence. Now, he then stops and releases an Italian freighter. Now, remember, they're neutral at this point in the war. Of course they are. They don't join the war till 1915. Uh, and what, 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 what is the problem about being, uh, in a sense, about being honest, about being fair and following the rules of war? Because if you let somebody go, what can happen? Well, the Italian crew, uh, they relayed the news of the incident to a British vessel, which in turn informed the British naval authorities in the region. The result was an immediate cessation of shipping and the institution of a blackout. Vice Admiral Martin Jeremy ordered the Hampshire, the uh, Yarmouth and the Japanese protected cruiser Chikuma to search for Emden. And the British armoured cruiser Minotaur and the Japanese armoured cruiser Ibuku were sent to patrol likely coaling stations. So that's what can happen. It's a direct result of of allowing that Italian crew 
to 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 go on their way. But he had no choice. It, it, well, if you're going to follow the rules of war, no. Uh, later on, the Germans would sink on sight. Remember the submarines. So this is the whole point. Now, Captain Muller then makes a very exciting and dramatic decision. What's that? De- I mean, it really is a bold step. What does he decide to do? Well, he decides on a night attack on the port of Madras on the east coast of India. That's a big place. It's a big port. Yeah, but he believed that this would demonstrate his freedom of manoeuvre and decrease British prestige with the local population. It certainly would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what happens? Well, at around 21.45, that's 9.45, on the 22nd of September, Emden entered the port, which was completely illuminated in defiance of a blackout order. And you're going to be ensign Prince Franz Joseph of the SMS engines. Step up in my social status. Prince France Joseph. Blimey, I'll, uh, yeah, right. Towards eight o'clock, the Madras light came in sight. We were astounded that this was still burning, proving the unwatchfulness of the English authorities. They cannot have expected and must have taken it to be impossible that a fortified harbour should be attacked by impudent Germans. Well, so much the better for us, for surprise was in this case our best ally. On approaching the town, we had another surprise. The harbour lights were all burning and the whole town was a sea of light. How different it was in Germany and on German coasts, where at the beginning of war, all lights and lighthouses were extinguished and those coastal towns showed a light towards the sea. Here, however, the opposite was the case. Blimey. So, can I just compliment you on your... um German royalty accent there. You sounded just well, like... Well, I, I had someone in mind. Prince William? Yes, it was Prince William. I don't know any more, one more German than the House of Windsor. <laughs> now, Emden closed to within 3,000 yards from the piers before opening fire, carefully choosing a line of attack which would allow them to hit the tanks of the Burma Oil Company without splaying shells into the streets. So they're trying to avoid civilian casualties. This is good. This is Good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Now, the torpedo officer, <laughs> unsurprisingly, he wasn't uh, likely to be required. He's not going to torpedo <laughs> so, an oil tank. So he watched events from the after battery. And once more, you're going to be Ensign Prince Franz Joseph. We rushed towards the harbour at a speed of 17 knots, steering thanks to their lights, so that at the order, open fire, the oil tanks and the battery would be in a line. At a quarter to ten, we were still about 3,000 yards from the land. The Emden then turned to port and stopped. Immediately afterwards, followed the orders. Switch on the foremost searchlight. Open fire. A stirring moment. Now, uh, Marine Paymaster Franz Bordeaux, he's, manning, he's on the training gear. That's the aiming stuff, I expect, of the number one searchlight. So basically, he's, they're, they're pointing the searchlights at, at the, uh, the, the oil tanks. So you're going to be him. Come on, France Bordeaux, let's know. What happens? Our first aim was the lighthouse, at which several broadsides were fired. It remained standing. Oh! Then we fired on the oil tanks. Soon, one of them exploded with tremendous flames shooting up to the sky. Then it was the next tank's turn. The first broadside was sufficient to reduce it to the same condition as the former. Meanwhile, all four searchlights were showing the only thing that was lacking was an adequate reply to our bombardment. The fort only fired three shots at us, of which none hit us. Now, the, the, it's worked out that the, the well, the eminence seems to have set fire to two oil tanks, uh, damaged three others, and then also damaged uh, a merchant ship in the, the harbour. And uh, again, I'm going to be uh, Ensign Prince Franz Joseph. When 125 rounds have been fired, the captain ordered, Cease fire! 
the results of this night shooting were that all the oil tanks had been set alight. A few shells had done some damage in the town and, and one ship had been slightly damaged. A few inhabitants were killed unintentionally as the attack was only directed at essential objects. It was very lucky for Madras that the wind was westerly so that the flames from the oil tanks stood out seawards. If the opposite had been the case, part of the town might easily have been destroyed by the flames. Wow. Now, as a result of this, the British again stopped shipping in the Bay of Bengal. During the first month of Endon's raiding career in the Indian Ocean, the value of exports there had fallen by 61.2%. It's a very precise figure, Gary. 61.2%. The crew of the Endon were delighted at their impact. And once more, you're going to uh, relay those fine words from Prince France Joseph with your inimitable German accent. The moral effect of our enterprise was not at all bad. We learnt later from the papers that a large number of the inhabitants left the town next day by rail. It must have made an incredibly strong impression. After the ceasefire, the searchlights were extinguished and all electric lights were directed to port. We were thus fully visible as we steamed on a fictitious course northwards. It was particularly necessary to mislead the enemy at this point. If we had at once taken our proper course, it is certain that we should shortly have had enemy warships on our tracks. What what does he mean, Gary? He means basically... They're going to, when they leave, they'll always, whenever they're sighted by anything or leave anywhere, they're going to go deliberately on a, on a wrong course. So basically, if they're going right, they'll turn left yeah. and then turn back right when they get a bit further out. If I was an observer, I'd, I have to admit, I'd you say, say... they're not going in the <laughs> They're right not way. going left, <laughs> they're going right. <laughs> now, from Madras, Muller decides to make a foray to the western side of Ceylon. On the 25th of September, Emden sank the British merchantman... Tyworth and King Lund two days later before capturing the Collier Buresque, which was carrying a large car- cargo of high-grade Now, coal. that's important. That's important it? to the end, isn't it? Now, a German prize crew went aboard Buresque, which was then used as a support ship. Now, later the same day, the German raider sank the British vessels uh, Ribera and Foyle, uh, and then because she's getting a bit low on fuel, she goes to the Maldives, where she arrives on 29th of September, and she remains there a day while she's recoaling. Now, recoaling was a horrible job. It's it's a filthy, dirty, and it's it, it's hundreds and thousands of well, thousands of tons, I suppose. Uh, that you have to do. It's a lot. It's a big job, isn't it? So what happens? So they do that, and then what happens then? Well, the raider then cruised the routes between Aden and Australia and between Calcutta and Mauritius for two days without any success. And I'm going to be Officers Cook Friedrich Lochau. We usually used only six boilers and could run 18 knots on them. Four boilers were always on standby to be ready to be steamed up in 30 minutes if needed and two were always in repair. It was our routine to thoroughly clean one boiler every fifth day while water had to be changed every 10 days, and a thorough overhauling was one every third or fourth week, as circumstances permitted. Now, this is interesting, because it's something you don't really think of, but if you have no port you can go to... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You have to do everything at sea, or, or there is one other way. And what is another way? You could go somewhere that doesn't know where you're at war. And what does the Emden do? Well, that's quite interesting, because the Emden steamed to Diego Garcia, which was a tiny British garrison, and they'd not yet learned of the state of war <laughs> between Britain and Germany. Oh, visitors! Yeah. Hello! <laughs> they treated Emden to a really warm reception, and, and she remains there until the 10th of October. Carrying so what's out, she doing? Well, carrying out engine maintenance, more coaling, coaling cleaning the marine gross, fouling the hole be- below the waterline, and allowing a do, period do of... Do you clean grass and blow your waterline? I don't have a waterline. And allowing a period of intensive refresher training the, the crew. Good captain, always get, get a chance, give them a bit of a rest, but then get them training, practising the basic routines, gunnery, that kind of thing. Now, Fabulous. they leave just in time, heading for the Maldives, because shortly afterwards the Hampshire arrived to inform the uh, collaborating <laughs> British personnel that they were at war with their erstwhile guests. That must have been a funny meeting. We've just had a lovely visit from that end. What a lovely lads they are lovely lads that you're at war with them. now the British did however capture the detached Markomania on the 12th of October that's and ser- that's, that, that, that's serious that's serious that's now depriving Emden of a collier 
15th of October, Emden, this sort of hits back and captures a British steamer Benmore off Minikai. I don't know where Minikai is. Uh, and, uh, and sank her the next day. And over the next five days, she captures Troyens, Exfort, uh, oh God, Gracefile. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Sankt Ekbert and Chicana. And one was used as a collier. Uh, um, three were sunk. And what does he do with the fifth one? Fifth was sent to port with the crews of the other vessels. So he's still carrying on that. But of course that means more people, more intelligence. Now on uh, the 20th of October, Muller decides to move to a new area of operation Because people would be handing information as they get back. That's sensible, isn't it? So where's he off to now? Well, he then plans a surprise night attack far to the east on Penang in British Malaya. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That's another big port. Emden, cold in the uh, Nicobar Islands and departed for Penang on the night of the 27th of October with the departure timed to arrive off the harbour at dawn. Now, Muller's intent was to destroy any warships or merchantmen caught helpless in the harbour. The Emden approached the tightly enclosed harbour entrance at uh, 0300 on the 28th of October, steaming at 18 knots with the fourth dummy funnel erected to disguise her identity. Now, this is... Oh, I think I will put up a map of it. You, you'll see that this is a very dangerous business because it's very tightly... You can't manoeuvre in there. So if you get caught in there, it's like a bottleneck. You've had it. Anyway, I'm going to be ensign for, uh, Prince Franz Joseph again, and, I, and this is what I've got to say. We reckoned with at least 90% certainty that we should be able to deal with the enemy before we were really noticed. Naturally, in this enterprise, our fourth funnel was to play a great part in the deception of the enemy, enemy by changing the appearance of the Emden. We wished to reach our objective by dawn. In darkness, it would have been impossible, for the entrance to Penang is so narrow and without light, one is liable to run, go ashore, run ashore. It was further to be assumed that vigilance would, be, would diminish at dawn. The dangers of our attack were therefore many and great. Success can only be attained, gained, ordained, by cold-blooded consideration, followed by remorseless execution. Second thoughts and hesitations were useless. In the Emden, there was not a moment's doubt as to our victory, for we knew the fine character and capabilities of our captain. So this is very much purple prose I'm reading now. This is, this is from his book, and it is purple prose. He was the very man to lead his ship to success in such a perilous venture. Towards two o'clock, the light of Pulo Penang came in sight. Everyone in the Emden was roused. <laughs> Our fourth funnel was already hoisted and looked quite imposing, rising from the deck. So certainly the Emden was roused, metaphorically. At 4.50am, we entered the bottleneck and again received the order. Ready! We all rushed for our action stations, I for the torpedo flats, where I went over all the arrangements again. The torpedo tubes were already loaded and the electric release gear were connected up. It was ready for firing. Now, they, they might need the torpedoes this time because they're entering into a port where there's likely to be boats, boaty things. Well, Emden's lookouts quickly spotted a warship in the port with lights on and it turned out to be the Russian protected cruiser Zemchug, a veteran of the Battle of Tsushima, uh, Tsushima in 1904 which had uh, put into Penang for boiler repairs now only one was in service which so meant only that she one could of not the, get underway so, so only one boiler's working yeah. No, and nor were the uh, ammunition hoist powered that now, might be a disadvantage in an action Emden, you can't move and you can't fire for long <laughs> now Emden pulls up alongside the Jim Chong at the point blank range of 300 yards now it's said 
unfortunately, that uh, the Zemchug's uh, captain, uh, Commander um, Jerkasov, <laughs> was ashore visiting his wife or mistress. Or both. Or both, at the Eastern and Oriental so, Hotel, and uh, had to observe what unfolded. He's sort of Jerkasov by na- name and by nature. Yeah, I, his name really is Jerkasov. Are you absolutely certain of that? Yeah, now he was later court-martialed, um, but uh, he was reduced to uh, to the ranks and uh, proved himself very brave in, in future actions. But, yes... Was he, his uh, first mate um, masturbate? That's was, really poor. That's, se- that's really was poor. Was semen stains aboard? His name really is Cherkasov. Did he Roger the cabin boy? <laughs> Doesn't every sailor? <laughs> now I, that is a great name. I tr- that is fantastic research by you. I have to point out to our listeners that Gary his, is so responsible for that fact. His name is Cherkasov. C H E R K A double S O V. And just remind me one more. What? Why was he ashore? He was visiting either his wife or his mistress, or both. A man for all... Now, once uh, once more, you're going to, to uh, relay the unfolding action uh, by being Prince Franz Joseph. Yeah, uh, so the three... I want to, let's remember this range, 300 yards, which basically is stone-throwing for a battle, for a warship. Uh, it's, it's a ridiculously good... Anyway, this is what I say. It's not much more than a football pitch, is it? 300 yards? I don't know. No, I don't know. Anyway, we waited with suspense for the order to release the torpedo. At 5.18am, there appeared in the tor- torpedo flat telegraph the illuminated word, FIRE! The torpedo was out and away. There followed some seconds of suspense and breathless listening. There was a dull report. There were cheers and general congratulations in the flat. There was no doubt that the torpedo had got home and therefore done its work. Simultaneous with the report, the guns opened fire above in our enclosed flat. The noise of the, t- of the s- salvos was considerable. Unfortunately, we could see nothing. It's one of the things about uh, naval warfare. When you interview, I remember interviewing various people. What could you see of the Battle of Jutland? Bugger all. Our under decks. We've said the same thing, haven't we, about our Gallipoli podcast? It was the same issue. The people below decks didn't have a clue what was going on. Oh, yeah. Do, do, you mean during the 18th of March? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, um, uh, luckily, some people could, and one of the blokes on deck, um, probably because he wasn't cooking food for them, um, uh, they, they, could, they could see the trail of foam as the torpedo goes. And you're going to be officer's cook, Friedrich Lockow. After a few seconds of fatal silence, a hollow detonation like thunder vibrated through the air. Our missile had found its mark. At the moment of the explosion, our artillery started roaring and shrieking and kept up a continuous bombardment of the front part of the Zemchug in order to prevent the crew from reaching their battle stations. That's interesting. That's, yeah. That is interesting. Well, it's it? so close, you can literally, it's, you can see what's happening, you can aim. Now, one of the Russian gun crews, they, they managed to get a weapon into a, a gun into action, but they, they don't get any hits at all. And Mula orders a second torpedo, doesn't need to be fired, uh, into the burning, because Zemchug's, Zemchug, yeah, uh, she's on fire. Uh, the guns are battering a, a, another torpedo to finish her off quickly. And I'm going to be uh, Franz Joseph again. The Emden canted to one side, from which we inferred that she was turning. Ooh, it's a bit like, hey! <laughs> uh, 
Uh, shortly afterwards, followed the order, fire! The torpedo rushed hissing out of the tube. At once, there was a fearful crash, which also gave the Emden a considerable shock. Rejoicing in the submerged flat, that's in the torpedo flats, we greeted the noise and shock as proof that this shot had gone home, probably in the magazine or torpedo flat of the Russian, as the tremendous explosion was not otherwise explicable. We soon received news from the conning tower that the Russian ship had vanished, with the addition, we are leaving the harbour. Now, the second torpedo caused a tremendous explosion. So it was a big, big explosion. Yeah, it tore the ship apart. By the time the smoke cleared, Zemchuk had already slipped beneath the waves. The masts, the only parts of the ship still above water. The distraction of Zemchuk in under 10 minutes killed 81 Russian sailors and wounded 129, of whom seven later died of their injuries. Now, was there anyone able to return fire? Well, yeah, they, they did come under an, an ineffectual fire from the French destroyer, the... Uh, uh, De Lerberville. Dib, de, yeah, I think it's Dib, I don't know. Dibberville. From within the harbour. But the uh, appearance of a mysterious ship at the entrance of the harbour caused the Emden to retreat while they still could. Because so as they, you they, mentioned, it's, it's a very enclosed oh, area. Caught. So they see a ship. Now, they don't know what it is, do they? It's no. a, the, hence the word mysterious. I, I accept what you say. But they don't know what it is. But they're not taking any chances. So they abandon. They don't go on to sink the Derberville. They get on their way. Uh, no, it turns out to be a small civilian craft, but by then the Emden was already on her way and couldn't waste any time returning you can't go back into the trap again there'd be the risk of encountering superior warships so you've got to keep going now outside the harbour they were busy congratulating themselves on a job well done when there was another alarm this time it was a British freighter Glen Turret loaded with ammunition that had stopped to pick up a harbour pilot while preparing to take possession of the ship Emden had to recall her boats from yet another alarm over an approaching vessel. This time it proved to be the old 1902 French destroyer, the Musket, which was unprepared, mistaking them for the Yarmouth. So the fourth, ton- the fourth um, funnel is working. Uh, yeah, and was, uh, the Musket was quickly outmanoeuvred and destroyed. Uh, with no need for torpedoes for such a trivial foe, France Joseph could watch the battle from the deck, and you're going to be once more... Ensign Prince Franz Joseph. With masthead flags flying, the Emden steamed at high speed towards the new enemy. At 4,700 yards, our first salvo was fired. By turning to port, the whole starboard side was brought into action. Our little enemy did not act judiciously. She did not, as would have been correct for a torpedo boat, come straight towards us. After the first salvo, she turned and fled, presenting us with a splendid target of her whole side. Our first salvo was somewhat high, and the second fell short, but the third got home, and could not have gone more exactly according to the prescribed evolutions. The first effective salvo shot down the tricolor and found the boiler room, for huge white clouds of steam were streaming from the ship. In spite of her severe disablement, the enemy did not remain quiet, but fired a torpedo, which passed several hundred yards astern of us. Also, one gun which stood forward of the conning tower was brought into action. It must have been a machine gun, for it fired with immense speed but hit nothing. Most of the shots went over us, and the noise they made was like a swarm of bees. Our guns shot splendidly. After we'd found the range, every round told. The enemy was in bad condition. Her superstructure was all shot to pieces, and everything else as well. After the Emden's 12th salvo, the, the Frenchman disappeared in a cloud of yellowish smoke, 
Our captain therefore ordered, cease fire! Now, it's not only the Royal Navy that has glorious traditions. The French gave no sign of being willing to surrender. And Prince France Joseph goes on to say, The Emden therefore opened fire again. And, 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 and uh, this is because there's another alarm. They're trying to shoot back still. They still not stop shooting. Um, uh, fire, and fired another ten salvos, with the effect that the Frenchman plunged bows forward and gradually sank deeper, till, with her bows apparently on the bottom, she stood upright in the water, with her stern high above the surface. This did not, however, last long, and her stern also uh, vanished into the deep. Except for the wreckage and swimming survivors, there was nothing more to be seen. The Emden came up to about 200 yards from the place where she'd sunk, um, and uh, it, uh, the, the, she'd fought to the end, hadn't she? She uh, boilers had exploded. She was lolling helplessly. But tell us about. There's a very different scene from the captain of this ship, isn't there? Tell us about him, because he, he's he's a real hero, isn't he? So who's he? What what does he do? Well, the, the French they they fight on to the end, but they realise that it's hopeless. And the captain, uh, who's a lieutenant de Vassal Theron, with both his legs smashed up had himself tied to his station at the bridge so that he could go down with the ship. Which is, to the modern mind, strange. But on the other side, it is heroic of its time and of the culture that they've been brought in, that you go down with your ship, the rest of it. Yeah. Now, Muller, he stops to pick up survivors, uh, and he picks up some 36 out of the 76-strong crew. Uh, And once more, you're going to be Prince France Joseph. The poor fellows who'd fought well for their country were a pitiful sight. Three men in particular were very bad. One of them I, I have always before my eyes when I think of his pain. The poor fellow had been hit in the stomach, so all his entrails were hanging out. It was unfortunate that the wounded had been some time in the seawater, as it quickly aggravated the wounds. Our doctors went to work straight away. Two of the wounded had their legs shot away, so these uh, limbs had at once to be amputated. The wounds were already festering, which made the doctors' work more difficult. Now, three of the 36 later die, and Muller insists that they are buried at sea. Oh, well, this Muller is a nice... I mean, you know, he's killing lots of people, but uh, he's killing for his country, and uh, he seems to play by the rules, doesn't he? Now, the Emden then sped off at around 8 o'clock, while the other French ships back in Penang were still struggling to raise steam to get underway. Now, this is, again, a sign of the times, isn't it? You can't just put to sea. You've got Remember to... that from the Falklands. Remember when they, they catch uh, British in port and, and uh, it takes a while. <laughs> the French destroyer Fronde, however, bravely tried to follow her tracks. Now, that's a bit dodgy because they, she, I mean, you, you've seen what happens to the, the other one. Uh, it's dangerous, isn't it? And once more, Prince Franz Joseph gives us the story. Well, he's, he's, he's making it clear. They've got to get rid of this this person tracking them and he says this many hounds are sure death to the hare the Emden's best course was to flee from her many enemies and that was the reason for the high speed we were steaming at half past ten in the forenoon our wireless picked up more messages the answers of enemy warships which confirmed the report concerning the presence of the Emden at Penang the position of the enemy warships we naturally could not know but we could roughly estimate their distance their distance from the resistances. He means the wireless, sorry. Distance from the resistance. Yeah, resistances. Mm, That's hard to say. The the resistances, what he means is the the strength of the signal. 
um, they can judge the distance from the resistance. <laughs> anyway, it was uh, it was it was it was sufficient. By rapid steaming, we had got a good start, and the warships could not catch us easily. It was the Fronde, however, which obstinately insisted on following us, always keeping a prudent distance, <laughs> and mouthing like some kind of old sea slut. What? <laughs> he means wireleting, doesn't he? Uh, with astonishing fierceness, she shrieked to the world on the while on the wireless. He means that the fearful Emden, which had so terribly assassinated her sister, the Mousquet—that's the French destroyer that was destroyed—was before her. She continually gave our course and speed in the eager hope that some ship of the Entente would give chase. We steamed on a fictitious course, west northwest. The god of the weather also favoured us rather than the French and sent a violent rain squall completely blinding the frond. Under cover of this squall, the Emden at once turned north-northwest. When the sun returned after a good quarter of an hour, the horizon was clear again, and nothing was to be seen of the frond. So they'd escaped. Yeah. Now, it'd been another successful raid. It certainly had. The Emden had not been hit by a single shell and had sunk two enemy warships. Do you think this has an impact, the, 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 the Penang? I mean, after Madras as well... Yeah, I mean, the attack on Penang was a significant shock to the Entente powers and it causes them to delay the large convoys from Australia since they'd evidently need more powerful es- escorts. Yeah. And this ultimately would prove to be the death spoilers! of Spoilers! Spoilers! Ultimately, it would prove to be the death of the end. Of- no. This has happened. It can't be a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Now, 30th of October, Emden stops the British uh, steamer at New- Newburn. Uh, put, put the, what does he do? Well, he puts the French sailors uh, aboard after they signed statements promising not to return to the war. It's a bit like the old, you know, those, what do they used to call that? Uh, they used to do it in the Napoleonic Wars as well. They, they signed a, a thing, yeah. Weird. Emden then turned south to uh, Simalur and rendezvoused with the captured collier Buresque. We mentioned her before, didn't we? We did. Muller then decides to attack the British coaling station in the Cocos Islands. He intends to destroy the wireless station there and draw away British forces searching for him in the Indian Ocean. Here, their destiny awaits. Dun, dun, dun! By this time, and particularly after their success at Penang, the crew considered themselves a lucky ship. Yucky Emden. Indeed, there was just a tinge of complacency creeping in. And once more, you're going to be Prince Franz Joseph. We had been able to make the difficult passage into Penang Harbour and completely destroy an enemy cruiser. Three times we'd been fired on without suffering the least damage. For this, we were a little sorry, as the Emden could have afforded some slight honourable memento. <laughs> he meets just a couple of, like a dueling scar. Oh, that's exactly what he's thinking of, isn't he? Uh, as a conclusion to this crowded hour, we had been successful in sinking an enemy destroyer. It was a victory indeed, and must have a must have a, a good moral effect. Every man in the Emden looked back on that day with a feeling of gratitude. And I would say, you know, what can go wrong? What what could go wrong, Gary? What? 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 What can go wrong? Off what? to the Cocos Islands, and then the world is their oyster. What indeed. Now, for more information, Pete, what should people be uh, be reading? Well, my favourite book on this was uh, Franz Joseph's book, Emden, the story of the famous raiding cruiser. You can buy that for next to nothing. I did when I knew they were doing this podcast. And it's a rattling good read uh, for the whole story of the Emden. The, the, the other book, uh, 
I enjoyed and used a lot was uh, where most of the other quotes were, was uh, Wes Olsen, the last cruise of a German raider, the destruction of SMS Emden. Less Spoiler. In- <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Less impressive, in my view, was R.K. Lochner's book, The Last Gentleman of War, The Raider Exploits of the Cruiser Emden. I just didn't find as much in that. Uh, um, well, there were no quotes hardly at all, and it wasn't quite as good. But interesting title. I assume he's referring to uh, Von Muller. Yes, who I think... I mean, have you been impressed by Muller's conduct overall? I mean, he, as you say, he's he's wearing the uniform of his nation and he's conducting the uh, the, the war as he should, as it were, according um, to the rules of war. But he is he is following the rules. Yeah, he's not a murderous sod, is he? He's uh, he's well, fair. It doesn't seem to be, Pete. Doesn't seem to be. But he's certainly on the uh, the wrong side of history, isn't he? You mean then? What's going to happen? What does happen? What's Where? Gonna happen? What? What? Why have I never heard of it after the Cocos Island? <laughs> On that high note, Pete, or should I call you Sydney? Cheers. That's the worst spoiler ever. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH, or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?